Well, during the pandemic, I know a lot of us have been tuning in to a lot of things on YouTube and podcasts and Clubhouse and whatnot. But there are two individuals, Samahans uh, they are, uh, that caught my ear, literally. And uh, I've decided that during one of my interview sessions right here on kk FM that I will have a chat with them, invite them. And uh, I'm so happy that the stars have aligned and I'm so pleased to welcome Muhammad Hafiz and also Arif Adi of Kopitiam Council. Thank you so much, Adi, and also Hafiz for being here. Thank you very much, uh, Ben, for having us. Yeah, definitely. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> How are you guys? How uh, I know Adi has been very busy. You, you have a you have a day job, and Hafiz, you, I know you have a very flexible schedule. And uh, yeah, how 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 have you been in this uh, first half of twenty twenty two? Well, Ben, despite being having a uh, flexibility in terms of my working hours, but mm-hmm. also I'm uh, in the midst of planning for my upcoming wedding. Yeah. So that's another a big chunk of my brain power that I need to use to all this. Planning and <laughs> delegating stuff. So yeah, the end of my rent. Welcome. <laughs> Congratulations to you in advance and uh, hope Thank all will be well. Adi, what about you? How has uh, 2022 treated you so far? I think it's been a very crazy year, to be honest. I don't think I've ever been this productive in my life. And I'd have to thank like getting a job recently. <laughs> well done uh, yeah. to you. So uh, a lot of things have been happening. Like There's also like NGO stuff, which I've been uh, quite uh, recently. We've kind of reactivated the whole work progress when it comes to NGO work. But uh, just regular day job also. It's the whole like menagerie of many different things coming together. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite glad to see that uh, over the past half year, I think uh, a lot has been done. And I can't wait to see what the rest of the next half of the year has in store for me. For the benefit of our listeners who are tuning in and listening to the both of you for the very first time, maybe Adi would like to introduce yourself to our <laughs> listeners. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Arifadi Putra. You can call me Adi, just short. Uh, right now, I'm currently a research officer for Institute of Development Studies, SABA. So it's a government think tank. So what we do is we, that we provide policy recommendations to the government of the day so that they can help plan their policies for in the future when it comes to development or when it comes to trying to just empower the state, the state itself. So right now, I'm currently the special officer to the new CEO, Dr. Ramza. So yeah, it's been a lot of changes recently in my life. And uh, I think I've gained a lot of experience just by being inside research itself. So you get to meet all kinds of individuals, you get to participate in all kinds of events. So yeah, it's just a wealth of experience that has just been thrown onto me over the past year. And yeah. And what does Adi do outside of IDS? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, definitely part of Kopitiam Council. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I'm also involved in uh, certain NGOs, a few NGOs. One of that is uh, Undisaba, which I think uh, Ben has interviewed. Yes, we inf- interviewed back. several yeah. of the individuals. <laughs> and uh, also part of uh, Buliari Babayu, which is another uh, NGO which focuses on uh, youth empowerment in the state of Sabah. Mm-hmm. So that one, we've uh, recent, with Undisaba, we've recently done like some kind of uh, talk of about uh, voter rights uh, in Moyog, in Pinampang. Uh, that went really well, and we can't wait to do more of these kinds of events in the future. Anything that helps us engage with uh, individuals out there helps to empower them and just you know share what we know and see how they can take that kind of wisdom and foster their own potential. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know what else I can say. <laughs> I don't want to humble brag too much. <laughs> but hey, a wealth of experience right there, which uh, throughout this uh, two hours, we'll have a chat with Adi and also Hafiz. Hafiz, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, this definitely. My, my name is Mohamed Hafiz Zulbin Mohamed Said. People call me Hafiz. And uh, I'm actually in the financial industry. And uh, unlike 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 Adi, uh, involved with a think tank, I don't belong to any think tank, but we belong to a 
Ting Ting ourselves on Clubhouse called Copy Time Council, or if you're on Spotify or Apple uh, Music, that's uh, where you want to look at Copy Time Council. So basically, it's just us and uh, these two guys like talking about uh, boring stuff, what I call boring stuff, because <laughs> no one really <laughs> bet an eye on this. They just, they just read on their, when they scroll their social media and just like, oh, that's it. That's the attention that they will ever give to such uh, uh, topic. Mm-hmm. But uh, having said that, also like uh, I also involved in NGOs, uh, mainly Toastmasters International. So that's where we, uh, what we call ourselves, where leaders are made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also because uh, Toastmasters is uh, it's about communication and leadership building. And uh, that's uh, that's what I do mostly. Well done. Outside of my work, yeah. Now, what attracted me to the both of you is uh, your knowledge about international events out there. Hafiz, you, it seems like, I know I followed you on Facebook for the longest time, and you would always follow some... A, some random page and it's always <laughs> interesting pages I must say thank you for and, that uh, end of line yeah and uh, <laughs> and usually you would always post about some I, I don't want, I don't mean this in a bad way like you know uh, the celebrations of uh, Jakarta's anniversary and I'm like oh I didn't know that they are 750 years old. Four, 400. Pardon me, 450 years old. 400 years 95. old. 95. 495. 495 years old. Goodness, I... I'm How very... this is that guy with the random facts at the party? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Useless facts, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Adi, uh, you being working with IDS and all of that stuff and then also working very closely with a good friend of ours right here, KKTOF FM. Uh, so someone who is very... Uh, experienced, proficient, and then someone who is uh, very proficient as well when it comes to international events and um, uh, and affairs, that is, because of something that you studied uh, in university. And the content of Kopitiam Council also highlights a lot about the current affairs of the world, which I think, us since we need to, you know, have a grasp about what's happening around the world and things like that. And that's the whole reason why I've decided to invite Adi and also Hafiz right here to just talk about What's going on with the world? <laughs> so I hope that you don't mind spending time with uh, us to, uh, for this next two hours. Yeah, Adi Hafiz? It's our pleasure. All right. Definitely not a problem for me. Let's talk about subsidies. So we'll take a very short break here. I know that this has been a very, very hot topic this past few days. And uh, we just want to, you know, pick the brains of Adi and also Hafiz. So, so let's, let's start local first before we go away from our country. So stay tuned. You're listening to KK12FM. KK12 FM 89.5 Well, good morning, Kota Kinabalu. My name is Ben Uzer, your host of Make It Happen. I go on air every Tuesday and Thursday from 7 until 9 a.m. You can also catch my repeat shows on weekends from 8 till 10. If you're stuck in traffic, well, I hope that you'll take a deep breath and uh, allow my two guests today to fill you in with uh, a lot of things happening not just in Malaysia but also around the world in this uh, special episode of what I would call KK 12FM X Kopitiam Council and I'm so pleased that I have Adi and also Hafiz here in the studio. Adi, Hafiz, thank you for spending time with us this morning. So let's talk about subsidies, yeah? I know a lot of people are just angry, worried, upset I think that's the temperature of our country right now. Um, what are your thoughts on the matter when it comes to subsidies with, you know, minyak masak, for instance? And there's a lot of talk about removing subsidies for the gas that we put in in our cars. Um, maybe in the future, things like, I don't know, sugar, flour, all of these things that are currently being subsidized might be taken away and people are getting quite upset. 
Um, Hafiz, what are your thoughts? All right, thank you very much, Ben. Uh, when we talk, I think we, when we talk about subsidy, we need to first establish that subsidy is, in in a word, in analogy, is like it's uh, the opposite of tax. All right, so we need to be very clear with it. So subsidy is what government give, tax is what uh, taken from us. Yeah, I use the word taken because you know no one's willingly just to give their money. <laughs> sure, but of course they're going to use laws to for it. But uh, having said that, subsidy is a tool. In, you can ask any economist. It's uh, there. There will be economists that uh, for it or against it. So now I'm I'm not an economist, but uh, with, I follow news. But uh, the way that the government use this as a tool to to achieve certain targets or goals that they have is rather being inefficient. Let's take for example the how they decided to endlessly subsidize uh, our fuel, our mm. RON 95. Mm -hmm. Okay, as we can see, the easy comparison comparison that we can have is RON 95 and RON 97. That's the green for B40 out there. The, it's the green one that we never use. Uh, so nine, RON 97 is around almost five ringgit now. It's mm -hmm. four, eight, something. And the RON 95 is around two ringgit. So the difference, the huge difference, more than double. So that's the difference that government have to pay up for in terms of subsidy. Now, a lot of people also say that not because this subsidy is meant for the B40, but those who have huge capacity engine, those who have huge uh, collection of cars are not this group of people, B40. These are the T20s that use uh, all of the subsidies. So now comes a question, uh, even raised by certain uh, MPs, mm -hmm. that we should have a targeted subsidies. And, and this is where I said it's being inefficient because we have a better idea to improve. Because we've been using the same system for years and we keep moaning about like, hey, how, uh, st let's stop people abusing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all in for foreigners not to, to jump in. This, uh, we talk about Singaporean or in the southern Thai to, to fill up in our country. Mm -hmm. But how about the, uh, the, the, the T20s that taking all this in but living to the uh, B40, nothing. And when it comes to the uh, situation of, uh, hey, we spend 80 billion on subsidy and we blame the B40s for asking too much. So I think this is where the in, uh, inefficiencies come in and the government with all tools that he, they have should uh, should uh, remedy the situation by uh, finding a new solution. I'm not proposing just anything yet, but I think being targeted using card or whatever means we have a lot of things now. We even can use uh, e-wallet now if you if we want to target it, give some uh, cash transfer to these people. But uh, it's been done before too. It's been done before, and that but they stop somehow, and they still keep on going with this. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'm not so sure where. The government says heading. So the uh, indecisiveness is what gives very uh, negative vibe, vibe mm. all about it. Adi, you want to add or disagree or, yeah? No, I think I just want to add into the idea of like indecisiveness. Is because like I think the finance minister just announced that we're going to have the biggest uh, budget for subsidies, which is up to, I believe, 80 billion ringgit. And, you know, it's kind of odd because you're cutting off a uh, fuel subsidy, which is quite, we're heavily dependent on. If you look at a lot of like Malaysia, mm -hmm. a lot of the towns and a lot of the cities are built just to cater to uh, automobiles. 
So you could say that where it really is the shift in priority here, if we're going to have to decrease the subsidy of uh, fuel prices, it's going to be very difficult for people who, like not just like T20 or N40 or B40, everyone across the board is going to be affected by it. But I think also this is also a bigger symptom of how over-reliant we are on, uh, on oil, on the oil and gas industry, because Malaysia does produce quite a substantial amount. And I think that also allows us the freedom to be able to subsidize when we need to. Mm-hmm. However, you can see that with that kind of subsidy, it makes owning a car much easier. And when you have make it easier to own a car, everyone's going to buy one. And this is going to exacerbate a you know, domino effect into a lot of issues such as you know, congestion on the roads because now it's easier to own a car. So in a way, it, you could see it as like it can progress towards people adopting uh, more, how do you say, uh, financially viable uh, modes of transportation. If they want to remove the fuel subsidies, right, uh, then they should have offer a better alternative because, you know, B40, when it comes to us, they barely can get through the day. And now with rising oil prices and inflation, it's going to be very difficult unless you provide a better alternative, a better alternative solution to, uh, you know, private uh, motor vehicles. So if the government does choose to remove these kinds of subsidies, then I think the push should be towards better public transport here. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it also comes at a weird time because 80 billion ringgit for subsidies uh, as a budget. That is quite, that's the biggest Malaysia has ever had. And that's going to be focused on trying to uh, reduce inflationary pressure. However, there's not really a lot of transparency in that kind of uh, policy. What is this 80 billion going to get into? What is it going to be focused on? Because when it comes to balancing out this whole idea of inflation is that you have to be careful that uh, domestic expenditure doesn't rise to a point where uh, the traders can see that, oh, we can, uh, if people are spending more, that means you can increase the prices because people are still a bit more uh, elastic in a way. This is the economist term. They're more open to the idea of spending more because they have more disposable income. So it's going to be a very huge balancing game when it comes to the economic pressures that we're facing. And I think I'm going to be quite pessimistic here. <laughs> and then I say that unless there's more transparency in where this direction is going to go, then I think, like most people, I'm going to have to be a bit more worried, a bit more concerned at what's going to be coming in the next uh, two, three, five, four, five years in the future. Anything to add, Hafiz? Uh, nothing. It's just uh, when we touch about alternative that should be given, it's uh, one example is public transportation is to be improved hugely, not just fo- focus on uh, Klang Valley, but also throughout throughout Malaysia. Because yeah. when we talk about, like Adi said, like, hey, it's very convenient to buy a car. It's cheap as well. It's the most viable option for me if I live in KK or in Samporna or in Cebu but when you talk about public transportation it's not an equal game mm. you go to Penang it's different they have rapid Penang there yes they have rapid Kuantan there but I live let's say in Tawau what options do I have I only have fuel which is available so this guy says that we should reduce uh, subsidy so I'm gonna against it so government need to look from all sides here here we go. We'll leave it at that. I have a feeling I need to invite you more often. Listeners <laughs> <laughs> are already engaged with this. All right, let's take a very short break. Coming up, let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. What's happening over there? It's been a few months, I think, since that first announcement of uh, uh, Russia's so-called invasion uh, with uh, Ukraine. What's happening right now? And there's a poll that I need to alert our listeners about. Apparently, Malaysians are you know, are okay with Russia. I find that shocking. But anyways, we'll have a discussion. Stay tuned. You're listening to KK12 FM. Good morning, KK. You're listening to KK12 FM. 
Well, I'm continuing our discussion right here in our in the in the studio. Pardon me, goodness, I need a glass of water, a cup of coffee, perhaps. I hope you guys are lucky in the car if you have a cup of coffee there. Well, you know, have a sip for me. But anyways, we have Adi and also Hafiz here in this very special episode. KK12FM X Kopitiam Council. I hope that you'll be able to tune in to uh, Hafiz and also Adi's uh, podcast. Maybe Adi would like to have a little chat about Kopitiam Council. Would you like to just explain to our listeners what is Kopitiam Council? I know Hafiz has mentioned a little bit, but for the benefit of our listeners who have just tuned in. So basically, Kopitiam Council is just a group of guys having a chit-chat over a podcast. So we would usually like think up topics what would be interesting not just for like the value of a, of a listener but mm-hmm. what kind of topics do we see ourselves having usually mm-hmm. and we just record it like sometimes me and Hafiz will go out go to a mama have some of these kinds of conversations about uh, politics current affairs or even something uh, as trivial as uh, the crypto crash and mm-hmm. wink wink nudge nudge but you know something like that uh, and we just thought hey maybe we could just put on air somehow mm-hmm. so that's how we just do it we just like you know let's set up a time let's talk about this let's see how long we can go maybe for an hour maybe for half an hour so yeah the topics are just extremely diverse it's basically what would you talk to your friends about in a kopitiam mm. and we would just like put it on into online context for listeners to uh, just have a listen so I think we are on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, and uh, what are the platforms? Just those two. Uh, mostly all the main platforms. Oh, just yeah. the main platforms. And uh, I think at one point, I think last year when the whole Clubhouse craze was going on, uh, we were quite active there too. So I think uh, it was, it's a great platform to be honest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I miss I, it. I really <laughs> do. So because like me and Hafiz, we kind of like talk about similar things. It's hard to find people that have shared these kind of interests. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I met Hafiz, I was like, he told me he had a podcast. I was already doing a podcast with a friend, but he got busy, so I didn't have anybody to do it with. Then Hafiz was like, hey, come on board. You know, Kopitiam Council is here. We've done a few episodes. I was like, okay, perfect. Let's do it. Awesome. And it's on Spotify, yeah, Hafiz? Exactly, yeah, correct. And all the uh, major podcast uh, platforms that are out there. Very easy these days to make podcasts. But I'm so happy that you're able to spend some time with us here at KK12FM and uh, to enlighten our listeners this morning. Well, let's go deep into uh, world affairs now. I, I think it's very important that our listeners get to know much more about Things beyond the news, and I like to touch base about Russia. And uh, there's this one article that I read uh, not too long ago. So, a recent survey by Pew Research Center found that almost half of Malaysians still view Russia positively, even as global perception against the superpower has fallen to a record low following its invasion of Ukraine, uh, which began in, gosh, February, March, April, May, June, July. That's five months. Um, In the survey by the Washington-based pollster, Malaysia charted the highest proportion of favourable response towards Russia among the 18 countries polled and was also the country that had the highest confidence in Russian, Russian President Vladimir Putin, quote, doing the right thing. On global affairs, with six out of ten Malaysians favoring him, Hafiz, what are your thoughts on this? I'm quite shocked. All right, maybe we need to first establish who are these people. Yes. Actually, <laughs> we need to see the credentials of this uh, company that do these surveys. But ultimately, like what we see here is not a surprise because I think. Let's put it into perspective. Russia and Ukraine, in terms of geography, is quite far from us. Sure. So they don't really have implication that, uh, directly to us. Maybe third party water. That's that's okay. There's mm-hmm. everyone in in this together. But uh, what we're seeing that is just, I think, 
post uh, i mean uh, i mean before pre uh, russo ukraine war mm-hmm. so uh, and also this is not the first time that uh, russia actually uh, doing so it happened in 2014 happened in 2008 so i think this is just a a, a normal uh, public views on Russia as a superpower even though it's the 11th largest economy in the world it's not that superpower by any stretch but uh, when it comes to uh, US uh, who who are the non allies of the US we you only have a handful of them just mm-hmm. China there's there's not Korea there's Russia mm-hmm. so we see we see this trio as you know like someone that keep the uh, the, uh, the balance uh, right so so from that uh, survey that you quoted i think the the perception is that we malaysians don't really care about it too much <laughs> yeah. to put it simply <laughs> that simply, way simply. is yes. that a dangerous territory to be in adi that malaysians don't really care about what's happening with the russian ukraine conflict because uh, uh, we've learned in history that anything happens around the world will f- feel the ramifications of it eventually I mean, we're already feeling it. Let's just circle back to the idea of subsidies and oil. Oh, yes. I mean, you, you could see that the whole global supply of oil and the prices of oil, globally speaking, has been devastatingly affected by this whole situation. But um, yeah, that's just like one, one of the implications. Another one is that, uh, going back to what you asked Hafiz, is that, you know, let's establish what we're dealing with here when it comes to why Malaysians are half and half about it. I mean... Historically speaking, Malaysia has always had quite cordial relationships uh, with Russia. Mm-hmm. We tend to buy a lot of military hardware, a lot of military equipment from Russia. So there's been a, like a, 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 quite a sophisticated relationship between Malaysia and Russia. So I would see that, yeah, it's kind of uh, obvious how it can be split down the middle because we ourselves aren't necessarily aligned with any other kind of superpower. Mm-hmm. We aren't aligned with uh, the US. We're not aligned with China. So, of course, we're not going to be aligned with, with, with Russia as well. So it allows for the diversity of opinions to flourish here, this word, uh, just the same. And I think why is also we have to think about what's the, what kind of perception do we have of Russia? What's the first thing that we think about Russia? We still have this perception that uh, this image that Russia is still this uh, Soviet state, you mm-hmm. know, backed up by macho men dictators. And that kind of image is quite highly romanticized. So it would be possible to assume that a lot of like Malaysians would see Putin as a strong man character that's uh, able to set Russia on, on the right path. So of, of course, if you're against like the idea of uh, autocratic uh, rule, you're going to be, oh, no, we can't, we can't let someone like this be in control. But if you're someone that is quite, uh, if you notice to be a bit more orderly, someone that tends to have more control in your life, you would tend to lean towards Russia because of that strong man kind of individual. He personifies the idea that, okay, you know, with, a, with uh, the right person in charge, with a strong iron fist to clamp down on uh, any kind of opposition, uh, there's a romantic idea to that, which I think is very dangerous for a lot of uh, Malaysians as well. So, yeah, I mean, this is just to outline like what we're dealing with here when it comes to the perception that we have uh, of, of the Russian Federation itself. And when it comes to the whole uh, attack on Ukraine, the aggression that we have in Ukraine, this has been going on for a long time already. But I remember back in 2014 when I was still a student with the whole annexation of uh, yes, Crimea. Crimea, yeah. We, a lot of us, uh, a lot of my uh, classmates, a lot of my lecturers, we already predicted something like this was going to happen back then. And, you know, nobody listened to us because, you know, who cares about listening to university students, right? <laughs> but we, was, we did talk about it way back then. And, you know, it's coming to fruition. It, it's no surprise. And I think for a lot of people also, they wouldn't believe that this doesn't come as a direct surprise. Ukraine, historically, was part of the Russian Empire. They called it the Pale of Settlement, where they would settle a lot of uh, Jewish citizens over there. Mm-hmm. So 
you have to under also understand uh, Russia's point of view here is that they don't see it as almost like a sovereign nation. They see it as like a territory that was lost and has to be reclaimed to you know restore some kind of a former glory that the Russian Federation had with the Soviet Union and the empire. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of historical baggage that comes with this whole situation and how us being affected also uh, it echoes and reverberates as well, mm -hmm. not just like to us, but globally speaking as well. Yeah. Will this conflict end anytime soon based on everything that we know and based on everything that you've read? Hafiz? Well, definitely not in any near future because like uh, we, we all know, it started not just this February, it started mm -hmm. even as far as 2008. Well, even when it started from 1991, from the <coughs> dissolution of the uh, Soviet Union. So uh, the... And whatever the, the NATO is doing right now, it's not going to try to put fire away, but it's going to bring more fuel to the fire now. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think Russia in, in, their, in, their, in their position would relinquish whatever that they already achieved in Ukraine. Adi, what about you? Will this be prolonged? Uh, will a solution be in sight anytime soon? Well, we can see that there has been no decisive ending to the conflicts in Syria. So I think there's going to be a similar pattern here, except that now the players are two regional powers. One's a superpower, one's a big regional power in Russia that are involved here. And both of them have their very, very real interests in, within the area. Like the Americans and NATO would want to see their interests and agendas be uh, pushed in the region there to counterbalance Russia. And Russia would want to see Ukraine established as some kind of buffer to keep the NATO states away. So, no, I think this is plays into the whole geopolitical game, which will never really end. If we see that the conflict ends in Ukraine, you could definitely be sure that some kind of conflict elsewhere is going to uh, intensify. So it's not just like the war itself that will end. We've already seen a lot of uh, mass migration from uh, Ukraine out from Ukraine to Europe. And we've already seen with like, if we look at history, we've seen with like, the Syrian migrant uh, refugee crisis that had devastating consequences on Europe itself. Mm -hmm. And that still hasn't been resolved. So this is going to be an almost like if the war itself ends, there's going to be side effects from it. And that's going to spill over for generations while people try to assimilate or try to adapt to the fact that uh, this kind of aggression has displaced so many kinds of people. Mm -hmm. So conflict may end directly, but conflict will arise somewhere else. We'll leave it at that. So much more to discuss coming up. We hear Indonesia is doing very well to the envy of many of us Malaysians. Where are they now? Jokowi seems to be creating a personal brand, it seems. We'll find out much more about the opinions of Adi and Hafiz here. Should we be scared of Indonesia now that Kalimantan is a highlight, apparently? Stay tuned. You're listening to KK12FM. You are listening to KK12FM. Well, good morning, Kota Kinabalu. My name is Ben Ozer, your host of Make It Happen. I'd like to welcome our listeners who are just now tuning in. I am very pleased that I have two awesome individuals here in the studio to talk about, well, everything about international affairs that we should know about. And this is a very special episode, uh, which I would like to call KK12FM X Kopitiam Council. And uh, we have Adi and also Hafiz here, who are podcasters uh, of Kopitiam Council. Thank you so much for being here, guys. 
Thank you so much. All right. So let, let's talk about ASEAN now. Let's let's uh, discover this region that is much more closer to home. And uh, it seems like in ASEAN, Indonesia's name has popped out quite a bit in the media. I think a lot of people saw uh, President Jokowi uh, meeting up with uh, Elon Musk recently in the United States when the US and also ASEAN had a summit over there. Um, Jokowi is quite a busy man. And uh, uh, knowing that right here for us in Borneo with uh, the movement of uh, the capital of Indonesia uh, to uh, Nusantara, which is located right here in Borneo. I mean, a lot of eyes are now set uh, with Indonesia. Um, should we be scared of them? A lot of things are happening. Maybe Hafiz would like to start first. Well, I think the word scared, it's not um, the uh, really what we should feel about, but we should feel like inspired. And I think we should be inspired by Indonesia, not also in their recent success, but how they get there. So Indonesia came a long way since 1998, the reformacy of uh, the kill of four students by then the uh, military general of Probowo, Pro that now also the uh, military uh, uh, minister of Indonesia now. So he has a lot of uh, history uh, luggage also there. But also we need to understand that since then, they came through a series of precedents after a long reign of uh, Soharto. And then now we have uh, BJ Habibi, Megawati, SBY, and now Jokowi. What's so interesting about in, with this series of precedents that Jokowi came from a humble background. He's mm. a, a man of... Uh, in furniture business, and then came to rise, become the uh, mayor of uh, Jakarta, uh, and then uh, rise to power as we know today, the President Jokowi. Now, all this while since 1998, a lot of, uh, at least for Malaysians, we see Indonesia in different light back then, mm -hmm. 1998. Of course, uh, when uh, we have their mates in flux here, and then all of the labor workers, and then now it seems that whatever news that we hear from the from the uh, our neighbors seems to found, uh, found a different meaning to how we see Indonesians nowadays. And uh, like you said just now, Ben, about uh, personal brand uh, uh, branding for himself, Jokowi, he literally have one of the most uh, uh, most subscribed YouTubers of a pres uh, uh, nation's president wow. with 2 million uh, subscribers. Yeah, I know Indonesia have like 268 uh, <laughs> millions, but even then, even by that scale, it's like it shows that with this progress, that it's not just something we, what, what we call cakap uh, kosong. This is a president that walks the talk and then do whatever he thinks best in his nation's interests. Coming back to Malaysia, this is not... I, I don't think we Malaysians can say the same with uh, not just our current pr prime minister, but also in the past, in the recent past. So simply because that whatever that's happening in Malaysia today is the effect of what we decided yesterday. Mm. So I believe in the last 10 years, we, we spent a lot of time talking about 1MDB. We spent a lot of time talking about winning whoever wants to govern the country. And in this... In the struggle of power, we lost somehow, we lost our competitiveness to our neighbors. You pointed out, Ben, Indonesia is one of the emerging power in ASEAN. But my God, Vietnam is also on a different level. Mm -hmm. Thailand's already on its own level, yet 
proceeding to even better uh, rise. Singapore, like a tiny five million country, yet Laos doing s- even Laos. Yeah. Uh, like I don't want to mention <laughs> Laos because Laos, you know, like <laughs> they were saying, Laos, yeah. Laos even catching up with us. So it's just everyone. Are we doing? not really well or everyone just like doing a lot better so in that frustration i would like to just say we need we need to do a lot adi's dying to say something <laughs> here go ahead you know i think we have to look at the context of how indonesia operates is because when i see somebody like jokowi right i don't just see uh, a leader i see somebody that's able to embody the whole patriotic fervor of indonesia because indonesia has been around much longer than malaysia has mm-hmm. they went through a lot uh, within their entire lifespan and i think they've went through I would say, comparably speaking, a lot harsher times. Mm-hmm. And if you look at how they're able to still mobilize 270 million people within a way that is united, because they, I notice when it comes to Indonesians, right, they don't really, they put the identity of the country itself as their main priority, mm-hmm. like compared to over in Malaysia, where we have the idea of like identity politics, where we would put our uh, ethnicity or our religion as the primary motivate, uh, primary sphere of identity itself. While Indonesia is just much more united, and because it's united, you're able to just mobilize people uh, much quicker. Mm-hmm. So it's investing in that national spirit, I think, is what given, has given uh, Jokowi that advantage in making sure that everyone can you know, be on this idea, be on this singular journey together to make Indonesia uh, a regional player in its own right. And I think we could also argue that it's also been the same case for Thailand or the Philippines. These are countries with a very strong and rich history. Thailand has been around since even like back then it was still called Siam. Mm-hmm. So it has that long, you know, that long progression that they can look back to and be unified around. Philippines also could say the same. They went through all kinds of struggles, all kinds of uh, trials and tribulations and came out uh, on the other side with a very strong and very uh, national spirit. Malaysia, I think we're missing that. And when we're missing that, it's hard for us to agree to uh, a single leader with a vision or Mm. with an objective. Like, for example, uh, Sabah and Sarawak. Our aspirations and our interests are completely different from those in our counterparts in uh, Sunanjung. So it's almost like you could say we're on a collision course with each other. So without that kind of unity, without that kind of uh, strength of uh, national character, I think we're still going to be always fighting uh, these smaller fights that we still have yet to resolve, which other countries have already done so. So I think for ASEAN, even ASEAN as a whole, they could you know, stand themselves on as a united front, like a country is able to represent themselves because mm-hmm. they can be very sure of it. In Malaysia, we're still trying to iron out the whole kinks of the whole uh, multicultural, the whole cosmopolitan experiment. That's, I think, uh, what we seem to be lacking in, uh, com- in relative to our neighbors over in the whole re- ASEAN region. Mm-hmm. Now we know that Nusantara, uh, the new capital of Indonesia, is going to be moved. Well, no, not uh, Jakarta, rather. The capital is going to be moved to Borneo uh, in, a, in an area where it's going to be called Nusantara. Should we be excited about it? Office? Uh, Sabahan, definitely, yes. Definitely. But I think I already mentioned this to uh, you guys also that uh, we need to be careful with it. We need to, be, we need to prepare a lot so that the, when the opportunities come knocking, we can answer them. Otherwise, it's just going to be opportunity uh, waste. And then we, who are going to benefit from, from this? It's going to be definitely our state neighbors in uh, uh, Brunei as well. Mm-hmm. And even uh, Sulawesi. Sulawesi also uh, a, a big player in this, uh, in this uh, news. So I think 
how how we can definitely like Sabah uh, gonna have some share in this. Definitely moving forward to focusing on spe specialization on certain industry that we think we can uh, be 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 well with. So so you know like how we just Sabahan not talking about it like the discourse. Oh my God! Like if there's a new capital right in our island and look at how people not so excited about it mm. like we need to bring a discourse public discourse to talk more about this and then the government with the initiative already been put place i think i welcome that very much from the state government but also i think far from that more needs to be done adi i think we should be worried because i'm going to ask any of you this how can you get to kalimantan from sabah mm -hmm. Good question. Uh, th that's the thing. You you can't exactly. You're gonna have to go all the way to the east coast. You're gonna have to take a boat. Then you have to. Then you can only go into Kalimantan, or you can go drive down to Sarawak into Pontianak, then enter the border there. The problem is that we don't exactly have that much connectivity with Kalimantan, and if there's no way to connect uh, Kalimantan with Sabah, then you can't really move anything at all. If I remember when we uh, there was a, this um, trip that Ideas had when it comes to looking at the border. You can see that on one side, uh, on the Sabahan side, it was all dirt. And then on the Indonesian side, once you cross over, it's all asphalt. Mm. They've already prepared the road. And we still ourselves, we don't have the adequate infrastructure to handle a uh, shift of a capital city. Because we also have to note that it's not going to be by the developing of a new capital city there. They're going to also be developing their satellite cities. Yes. So Samarinda and uh, Balipapan, these are satellite cities which serve as the financial center in Kalimantan and a major uh, port city. So these are also assets that we can tap into because they, if, you, if anyone would look at the map, you could see that the, there's a stretch of sea, which is the Makassar Strait, that a lot of uh, traffic would be viable to go through because we've seen the Malaccan Straits are getting clogged up and the mm -hmm. South China Sea is also clogged up. So, you know, finding an alternative shipping route, which is also cost effective, is going to be very, very important. And I could see maybe in the future that this stretch of the Makassar Lombok Strait is going to become very, very important. And if we don't tap into it in terms of maritime trade and maritime connectivity, we're definitely going to be losing out. The best way would be to start thinking of ways that we can develop a port in, on the East Coast because we have one in uh, Spanga Bay. Mm -hmm. But that only services the, that mostly services uh, the West Coast. From there, you would transport uh, your goods into the interior. But what about uh, servicing uh, transport or you know, logistics for Kalimantan itself? There's a lot that we can do, but we need to have the foundation set for it, which I think we don't really have. But, you know, if the state government is really interested in doing so, I think they would have to put in a lot more effort and take this more seriously. Some would argue that, oh, it's just a capital city move. Australia's done it. It hasn't really yeah. improved their economic standing uh, that much. Canada did the same. But I would say that this is different because this allows a lot of uh, Borneo's untapped potential to be realized here. We have more nodes of trade, we have more nodes of interaction, we have more nodes of connectivity that can help bolster our own economic prospects because we have now more options to diversify. Mm -hmm. Well done. We'll keep it at there. And coming up, let's go away from ASEAN and go to the US. So many things, unfortunate things are happening right now. And uh, we'll pick the brains of Adi and also Hafiz right here on KK12FM. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. Good morning, Kota Kinabalu. You're listening to KK12FM. 
Well, here we are in the second hour of my show, Make It Happen. And during this special episode, I like to call it KK12FM X Kopitiam Council. So to our listeners who have uh, our radio station who have just tuned in, my name is Ben Uzair. I am here in the studio together with Adi and also Hafiz here who are part of Kopitiam Council. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Very robust discussion this first hour. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Let's talk about USA now. Hafiz, have you been to the USA? You've talked a lot about USA in your podcast, your uh, previous engagements with universities and all of that stuff. I'm just curious. Unfortunately, not yet. Okay. Yeah. What, why are you very, uh, shall we say, um, you know, passionate about the US? Simple, because it's the epicenter of the world. All right. So superpower. <laughs> so, every, any conversation leads back to yes. so you have to know. Uh, uh, for, now, for now, for now. For now. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Adi, you seem to, like you want to disagree that they are, uh, you know, the epicenter of the world here. I mean, of course, they're the center of the world right now. Yeah. The pop culture and the things that they've provided. But how long will that last? Mm. You know, once you're at the top of your game, the only direction left is to go down. Yeah. We've seen a lot of empires rise and fall. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the US is going to be any different from this. And I foresee that you ha- are you favoring China si- uh, being the next superpower of the world? It's not whether I favor or not. It's okay. whether which one is going to be more amenable to Malaysia. Oh, great. That's <laughs> all that matters to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about US here. What we consider as uh, Hafiz, to borrow your words just now, and I, I, I quite agree with you as well, a mature democracy. Adi, do you agree with this? that they are a mature democracy, despite all the things that are happening right now. Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Uh, we, we know their track record when it comes to gun control and uh, so many unfortunate things are happening and we read the news all the time. What's happening in the US? Can we still consider them as a very mature democracy? I guess when we have to look at mature democracy, I mean, what do we define exactly? What's the metric for a mature democracy? I think, don't think we have ever figured out like, what does it mean to be a mature in a democracy? Does it mean we can have discussions without having to resort to violence? Does it mean that everyone is represented? And if that's the case, I don't think any country is a mature democracy because it's mm-hmm. always going to be those that are left behind. There are always going to be those that are going to be upset with what's the decision that's going to be made that's enforced upon them by the majority. So maybe you could say easily, yeah, mature relative to us in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. But if you want to look at like... Uh, flat standard metric of what democracy is. I think a lot of the Western world and not just America still falls short in reaching that kind of meter. Hafiz, what have you to say about Roe v. Wade, which was just overturned? A lot of people are quite upset and there are a lot of people too who are in favour of it. Well, I'm I'm not a lawyer nor an activist, but uh, my point is just like this is I think what Malaysia should strive for. I'm not. I'm not saying the but the the case per se. It's how discussion mm-hmm. or uh, a debate should be handled in in a mature democracy. We should not have someone saying like, "Hey, don't talk. Let me talk. Let mm-hmm. me do the action. You just sit there, down there, and stay silent." Mm-hmm. This is a, a a case that has been long since I think 1972. So whatever that the judge that. Uh, overturned this case, the implication is that it gives back to the state to allow whether they want to uh, choose to ban or not. But unfortunately, most of the states already, if not more than half, if I'm not mistaken, is already decided to ban. Some of them immediately. So, uh, are, uh, funnily, if you have an appointment on 8pm and then it was decided like last uh, a day after, before, 
you should cancel the appointment because it's no longer legal in your state. Hmm. So that's the implication that they have. And of course, certain states like California, uh, blue states, they, they are on, on for it. So, and then we also have a news where Disney and Netflix would pay for your tra travel expenses to go to these uh, 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 legal states to have an abortion. So you can see a lot of uh, uh, executives uh, and businesses, corporates, they play their own role to accommodate whatever discussions that I have. So in this particularly uh, pro-life or not pro-life. Mm -hmm. And then we, we have also what causing this. And uh, we, we, we know most of the judges that sit there are uh, um, appointed by the Republican, uh, at least two of them uh, pointed by Donald J. Trump. So that tells a lot about what decisions about. But the crux of the matter is America is, I think, in, in the standard of first world country, is the most religious country. Why I say that? Because a lot of policies exactly like this, driven by the, if I may say, the uh, Christian conservative. Mm -hmm. This is not a new thing. It's not just uh, from this year. It's been long over since the foundation of America. And this is just one of the events that it's going to say, okay, uh, we're going to have our turn now. You may have the president, but we're going to have the... The, the 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 judges on us so yes in terms of democracy uh, it, this is healthy but be careful when it comes to democracy it's also can it's also cut both ways so if you think it's a good thing or bad thing it's all in democracy undecided Adi, thoughts? I don't think I'm really qualified to talk about Roe v. Wade. I mean, other than the fact that I think it's quite a sad shame when it comes to uh, violation of human rights. But other than that, when it comes to the implications of democracy, I think I really do have to agree with Hafiz here. I mean, this is just the standard uh, rhetoric or the standard division between like the, you know, the rational, uh, liberal uh, side versus the uh, more conservative uh, Puritan Christian uh, context. So you can see that America is undergoing for that whole uh, like a tectonic shift here about mm -hmm. what kind of identity or what kind of country does it aspire to be. It's still tr is it trying to reconcile that whole manifest destiny uh, Christian background that is that's called held it over for three hundred years, or do they want to uh, be a bit more progressive? Do they want to progress to something that's uh, transcendental in a way? Do they want to aspire to be something like I don't know like blue states like California mm -hmm. has achieved? So. It's kind. Of, it's allows like the whole battle of like democracy. Like, yeah, sure, I'm gonna live in a state, but I'm gonna disagree. But why do I disagree? Do I have to be enforced by the rules that has been uh, provided by the majority, which I disagree with? Mm -hmm. So this comes to like a criticism, I guess, when it comes to democracy itself. Like, how do you make sure everyone is represented? How do you make sure that everyone's views are taken seriously? Because a lot of people would say this whole. Uh, pro-life or whatever is very uh, intrinsic to human rights and human rights is almost uh, intrinsic export you'd say mm -hmm. uh, about America we'd always see America trying to be the champion of the western world saying that you know human rights is at the topmost priority of our foreign policy or when it comes to our concerns abroad but when you see uh, domestically speaking they're still having that identity crisis right there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a lesson to Malaysia is, is this really a democracy that we want to aspire to? Because, at the, because we've seen that this democracy has operated at the expense of, what, half the population to women itself? Because other, uh, people would say that, you know, this is 
almost like a sacred issue, you know, this pro-life thing. It's, it cuts into the idea of uh, almost a religious context. Mm-hmm. And that's very dangerous, you know, when you mix dogma with politics here. Yeah. And for a mature democracy to allow that to happen, I would say that's not very mature at all. But that's the challenge that we have when it comes to the idea of democracy itself. And America hasn't figured it out, I would say. And I think it's going to take even longer for us to figure out what kind of system would work best for us. There we have it. Yes, Hafiz. I think the biggest takeaway uh, for us, especially for Sabahan and Malaysians, is that uh, whatever that's happening right now is we need to see that all driven by the people. Mm-hmm. A yeah. discussion, a discourse must be started by the people. It's, we're not going to rely on politicians because politicians can be politicians. Yeah. Uh, whatever, the, the judges are going to be judges. But the people, they can drive all this narrative all these actions that, uh, whether it's a street protest or whatever, do what you think the best for your community. Do not rely on other people for your own interest because in the end of the day, there's no insurance for that. Yeah, exactly. So we, we should learn from that. There we have it. Great words of advice there from Hafiz and also Adi. And uh, we'll keep it at there. Coming up, i like to call this next segment Kopitiam Council Picks. And they've decided to pick a country to talk about. Now... They gave me the answer, uh, a, a country that they'll like to speak about. And uh, I must truthfully say that I have not researched anything about this particular country. So do stay tuned to find out why they picked this particular country and why should we pay attention to them. Stay tuned. You're listening to Kiki 12 FM. Good morning. You're listening to Kiki 12 FM. This is Ben Uzair here. Thank you so much for tuning in to my show, Make It Happen, inspiring you with the voices of our fellow Sabahans who are making it happen right here in KKN Beyond. Well, I'm always immensely inspired by the youth and I always believe that our Sabahan youth will always uh, have a space to make things happen. And uh, one of those places is... uh, through podcast and I'm very pleased that we have Hafiz and also Adi here they have a podcast already you can find them on Spotify it's called Kopitiam Council and they're right here in front of me Adi, Hafiz thank you so much for spending time with us here at KK12 we're glad to be here Ben so I like to name this one segment and I have this feeling that we're going to invite you quite often and I like to immediately name one set and it's called Kopitiam Council Picks and I'll allow you guys to you know, to like pick a country, talk about that particular country and why should we pay attention to it? Now, you mentioned it off air, Colombia. I'll be honest with you, I've not researched anything about Colombia. Uh, and uh, maybe Hafiz or Adi would like to start. Why should we pay attention to Colombia? So for those who don't know, Colombia just had an election. Mm. So it just elected a left-wing senator. Okay. This is going to be the first ever in Colombia where a left-wing uh, individual was able to make it to become president, which is a... Gustavo Petro, he used to be a former guerrilla fighter mm. who used to fight back in the whole like, Latin American wars of uh, back then when socialism was a major wave in that area. So what we can see now is like a socialist president taking the reins of a country which has never had this before. So a lot of people see this as some kind of victory for uh, socialist uh, rhetoric or socialist theory, mm-hmm. or you could also see it as a victory for minorities because we've seen Quite recently, the whole uh, socialist agenda has been open and catering to minorities such as the LGBTQ or indigenous individuals or people with disabilities. So it's become almost like a rallying cry 
for people to uh, amass under. And this is quite a substantial win because uh, this is uh, quite, because we've never seen like in terms of Southern Latin America have something like this. When they do, usually they will get demonized or they will get sanctioned uh, by America. We can mm. see Cuba, for an example, yes. was victimized quite heavily by uh, America. So we can see this as almost like a shot in the face for um, American foreign policy. I can imagine that in the White House, Biden is having quite a lot of headaches on uh, right now trying to handle this situation. Hafiz is smiling already. <laughs> I just have a feeling that Hafiz wants to say something. So are you agreeing that? Uh, the, the U.S. is going to have a headache because of this new leader in Colombia. I think it's pr precisely about that. I think uh, Colombia sees this uh, uh, opportunity to, to uh, as socialists, to rise to the occasion because, uh, because to be honest, America has a lot on his plate right now. Mm -hmm. So they won't have any time or any resources to focus solely on things. They have China on their door, they have Russia on their door. Now, the Socialist Party winning the first time in South America next to Venezuela. This is not a good thing. So I think they 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 think um, as a Colombia says uh, just yeah another information here is that uh, the um, uh, Gustavo won against a millionaire candidate. So well I'm not I'm not gonna say like this is money versus uh, idea, but it's it, this this is a lot coming from Colombia mm -hmm. and to show that this is the first ever leftist uh, president to win. It's like a slap on the face on uh, on, uh, on America mm -hmm. because what what the ripple the ripple effect from this is going to be huge. Uh, people going to rally on whatever asking for the the one, and America should be cautious with this development. What, what can Malaysians learn from whatever took place in Colombia here? I, I know the uh, socialist ideology is not very strong here in our country, uh, but. Hey, there's something to be learned, I think. I think it comes to the, boils down to the idea of inclusivity. If you're able to take in uh, individuals that society has sort of, uh, you could say, uh, on the peripheral fringe, you can definitely amass some kind of uh, support there. Because, like I said, uh, this, this new president was able to leverage on the support of uh, minorities, mm -hmm. here, which I think for Malaysia is, is what's lacking. You know, there's not many champions of uh, individuals that, uh, that are minorities. Yeah. Like we can even see like uh, indigenous rights, yes. especially in the Saban context. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really get brought up much in the federal, uh, in, in federal, in the federal parliament. So it kind of teaches us a lesson that if you are really serious about uplifting everyone, then you're going to have to include everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'd say it would be a good barometer to see how far the ide socialist ideology in this new modern context would work in, uh, in a post, I would say, Soviet, a post-Cold uh, War setting in uh, Latin America. Mm -hmm. Because we've already seen like, in a way socialism has gone beyond just an economic theory. It's, uh, it's also gone to the idea that's almost champions human rights itself, that everyone should be equal, not just economically speaking, mm -hmm. but treated every, uh, all the same under the law by society itself. So it's almost like a cultural shift that we're looking at in, in terms of socialism's uh, uh, potency in this modern context. Of course, that is what it was fighting for, but we can see it finally rearing its head in. If you could see America, the, the rise of like... Uh, new younger individuals the youths there are a bit more amicable they're very mm -hmm. open to the idea of uh, more welfare or socialist or socialist uh, rhetoric mm -hmm. and we could see that if it works in colombia who's to say it won't work uh, somewhere else yeah 
So it's kind of like a rallying cry for these kinds of individuals who hold these kinds of ideas. It's like, okay, we can see that this is happening now. But I could imagine that the whole uh, the, the elite Western capitalists would see this as uh, as like a threat to them, just mm. like how they saw with Venezuela. Yeah. So we, I don't know if America is able to draw any upon any resources to prevent that from happening, like they did back in during the, the Cold War era. They mm-hmm. were stamping out revolutionaries. They were stamping out left wing governments that were popping up everywhere across uh, South America. Will we see that again? I'm not too sure, but it would be a possibility, especially. Considering the next uh, U.S. elections, we'll see how that goes. Will a Democrat win or a Republican win? Does it really matter, though? <laughs> Both have shown their capacity for uh, regime changes. There are mid-elections coming up very soon, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Hafiz, anything yeah, I, to add? Yeah, I think we, w- one takeaway that we should take as Malaysians is that we need to go beyond level. Mm. Like you mentioned, just now, socialism doesn't have a good uh, reputation here in Malaysia. But s- a subsidy, for example, that we talk about, is part of uh, socialism. socialism. Yes, socialism. Well, mm-hmm. And we, we need to see that also that a mixture of socialism and capitalism in certain countries like Scandinavian countries and also China that doing really well. So you can be a mixture of the two. It's just how you're going to find the right balance. It depends on the recipe of that very nation. So I think uh, it's a lot of to unpack here, but what the especially what we're going to take away from Colombia is that uh, we, we need to be open and like I said also, be very inclusive about it and text everyone in when it comes to making decisions. So because uh, the more that brand that we have, is the better. There we have it. We'll leave it at that. Stay tuned. We have much more from Adi and also Hafiz coming up. We're going to talk about Sri Lanka. Uh, The economy has crashed, unfortunately, and a lot of bad decisions were made over there. Lessons that we can learn as we, you know, as we we march forward in this uh, very uh, difficult times, in these challenging times. So stay tuned. You're listening to KK12FM. You're listening to KK12FM. I must confess that I have not done much preparation during this show for for good reason because if I do too much preparation, I know that Hafiz and Adi are you know they're they're very opinionated in a good way and they have a lot of things to say which I believe that you our listeners of KK Twelve FM will be able to learn something from them. But hopefully the most important takeaway is that that you'll be inspired by their voices and their passion towards international affairs because I think Adi it's very very important yeah for Malaysians to know what's happening outside. I feel like sometimes we're very ignorant about the things that are going on. Why should we be passionate about things that are happening overseas? Well, no man is an island, definitely. Like, what happens across the world has definitely a huge effect on uh, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And I think it's best that we keep up with it. And also, it allows us to diversify our ideas and our thoughts. Mm-hmm. If we're going to just stick in our own bubble, in our own echo chamber, we're not really going to grow as individuals. So it's always great to have conversations with different kinds of people from all across the world, find out what kind of uh, situation that they're dealing with mm-hmm. and find out that probably their lives are completely different than ours. How do they function within those kinds of lives and those kinds of situations? And it helps us relate more. It helps us to grow as a global community itself. We're able to relate with uh, situations in this country. and We kind of know what's going on in this country, so we can kind of relate. We can see how those situations there mm-hmm. are also applicable and how we can take lessons into, you know, making things better for ourselves. Because we're not, I think the whole idea of trying to better Malaysia, of course, it comes from us ourselves. 
but it doesn't mean that we cannot draw the ideas and expertise from different countries. This is how a lot of civilizations have progressed. They don't just stick in their own bubble. Of course, they've created their own character, but they've also learned the value of learning what's going on in another country, mm -hmm. and they pick bits and pieces here and there to find that winning formula that can help you make you know, a better country. And I think Malaysia should not, is not exempted from that rule. Mm -hmm. We have to at least make an effort to learn more what's going on. Hafiz, I'll save that question for you in our closing set here. But I think he, all of us here in this room could agree that you know, uh, the experiences of other countries could be a major caution for us, uh, i.e. Sri Lanka with the collapse of the economy, that could happen in our own country if we don't manage our resources well and if we don't make good decisions. What's your biggest takeaway from Sri Lanka? Much has happened since the collapse of uh, the economy there. Before I say the t biggest takeaway is that I need to mention two things about Sri Lanka. Go here. ahead. First one is that uh, diversify your economy. Secondly, have as much as possible uh, foreign reserve. Mm. Because these two are the main reason why Sri Lanka collapsed today. Uh, first one, as we all know, uh, main, the main economy of uh, Sri Lanka is tourism. So, they, yes, they do have uh, produced some uh, agriculture, but in terms of percentage, it's not one of the biggest. The biggest mm. is tourism. So here you can see already the red flag, where it's, the economy is not as diversified. And the timing couldn't be worse for Sri Lanka as the reserve that we, we have with economic, like um, in America, inflation. America cannot escape the inflation and uh, with the ongoing uh, war, everything goes up. So Sri Lanka stuck in a hot, hot and rock place, and in and rock where they couldn't escape this um, uh, turmoil, economic turmoil. So these two, with pandemic as well, like I said, the timing, everything happening at once. So it's open up um, Sri Lanka, exposed wide open, and then it happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's happened in uh, very in a nutshell. And uh, the biggest takeaway is again, going back to these two points. Have as much as foreign reserve and also diversify an economy. As uh, Sabahan, we also rely so much on tourism. So this, uh, I think, should be... Yeah, we're very cautious with this. I'm about to ask Adi here. Agriculture, tourism... Industrial development sounds very Sabamajujaya too. <laughs> <laughs> These are the three main yeah. uh, thrusts and uh, three main uh, uh, industries that we want to focus uh, with uh, the development plan through 2025 here. And Sri Lanka obviously is depending on tourism. Putting all the eggs in one basket can be quite hazardous, it seems. Your thoughts? Oh, definitely. If you ask any economist, you want to always try to strive for comparative advantages in many different fields that you can, because if one falls, right, you can still rely on uh, other kinds of uh, industry. Now, you can see eas easily, we almost kind of went through that when it, when it came to the pandemic. Tourism sector mm -hmm. was completely decimated. And what, what was that would we see coming from Sabah out of that? What kind of economic growth? I can tell you there was barely any. Agriculture as well. Even though we have a specialization in agriculture, comparatively speaking, it's dwarfed completely by countries that are around us. Indonesia can produce it at volumes that are un inconceivable for Sabah. A lot of our imports of rice and paddy comes from Thailand, when we should be growing our mm, own. Yes. So it's not sustainable in a way. We aren't sustainable at all when it comes to development. And if you want to talk about industrial development, what kind of downstreaming activities are we talking about here? Because most of the oil and gas reserves that, uh, that we have and oil and gas uh, resources that we have, of course we tout it as, okay, we're blessed in a way that we have all these abundance of resources. 
but we're only scratching the surface of its potential here. We're only giving out the raw, unrefined products. We don't have enough capacity or the technical know-how to be able to refine it and add value. That, that, that is where I think also Sri Lanka was uh, deficient in because I think we have to look also at their own historical context. When it was starting out as a country, they focused a lot more on political development, which is trying to empower, in a way, empower its own people, trying to have a uh, budding bureaucracy and some sense of uh, civic responsibility. So very responsible uh, citizens there at the expense of economic development. Now, Malaysia, in a way, ironically enough, was uh, the other way around. Mm -hmm. But Sabah, uh, I think, was a bit insulated from that. When we had Mahathir as prime minister, he wanted to industrialize rapidly. But Sabah was left out in that. So in a way, we're still paying the price of those kinds of decisions. And I think, you know, moving forward, of course, you know, we have the Sabah Majajaya plan that sees that these things are a necessity, these things are a requirement. But when it comes to having the capacity and the capital to develop our industries, uh, that still is quite going to be difficult to manage because how do we manage our own priorities? Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of resources as well. How are you going, what resources do you really want to focus on of course, it would be nice if we can focus on all. But if we focus on every single thing, we're not really going to get anywhere. We're just like walking in every single direction, but we're not really going to get to that destination. Mm -hmm. So we need to still decide what is it that we want to be comparative, have a comparative advantage in. Of course, we can diversify in other fields, but we need to find a way that balances out the resources at the same time adds value. Because the number one important thing that Sabah right now needs is to add value mm -hmm. to the resources that it has. If not, we're just going to be throwing it all out, you know, when we could multiply that kind of uh, revenue 50-fold. Like, for example, you see with Johor and Singapore. And Johor sends water over to Singapore. Singapore refines it and filters it. They can sell it for four times the price that they imported it for. So that is the thing. That's the role Sabah can play if we, exact, if we industrialize. When it comes to industrialization itself, we're met with the issue of skilled workers, a skilled mm -hmm. labor force to actually be able to tap into that. So right now, I think the important thing is invest in people, invest in Sabahans, invest in our technical talent and technical skills so that we can actually have people that can build the factories, that can refine the metals, that can refine the oil and gas. Then we can add value to our products and we can escape the whole middle income trap. Hafiz, I feel like you want to add something here. Yeah, on that on the, uh, last note, uh, invest on our own people. I mean, brain drain is not a, uh, an issue, a new issue. I mean, as a country, Malaysia have its own issue. We Sabahan have its own issue. Mm -hmm. We see, we go to KL every time and then we see all the Sabahans are working in uh, uh, everywhere. So this is not good in terms of Sabah uh, human resource. So uh, why, why all, all of this? Like, it's come back to all the policies that we have mm. because uh, all these uh, talented workers, skilled laborers are not going to stay without any incentive. So we need to place an incentive for them to stay. This is, this is a, a free market. Like everyone can uh, free to work where they want. So I think just on top of that, it being um, added, value added to all the resources that we have, but also we need to empower unionized workers maybe. Mm. So uh, this is, in Malaysia, it's quite a unheard of this kind of term so in Sabah I, oh my god I don't know like even people heard about oh can you do such a thing mm -hmm. so the discourse also must be started policy makers need to talk about this so that they can empower them not just rely on oh, how we're going to diversify our resources whatever but also to empower in terms of their rights there we have it alright well 
take a very short break here. Coming up in our final set, Adi and also Harvest will share their closing thoughts. So do stay tuned. You're listening to KK12 FM. You're listening to KK12 FM. Well, here we are in our final set together with Mohamed Hafiz and also Arif Adi, also known as Adi, and we call Hafiz, Hafizul Hafiz of uh, Kopitiam Council. Thank you so much, guys. It has been a very fun one hour and 45 minutes here discussing about everything from subsidies to Russia, to Indonesia, to the USA, to Colombia, to Sri Lanka. It's really, it has been a fun trip around the world. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much, anyways, for spending time with us. I mean, there's so much to say and two hours is just not enough here. Hafiz, um, why should the youths especially, like yourselves, like you and also Adi, um, you know, and all of our young Sabahans, why should they pay attention to international affairs? Why should they go and, uh, you know, bukan sibuk-sibuk lah in Malay we say, but, you know, at least ambil tahu about things happening overseas. Simple, it's just one phrase, uh, to see things in bigger picture. I think there's a lot of, to, uh, you would have a different perspective of the world if you see it in a different frame. Mm-hmm. So like uh, we, when we first go to uh, primary school, you would see different world. High, high, high school, different world. University, different. Working, even way different. So can you imagine that in terms of your own perspective? So when you see oh, on the news, like, hey, someone got, uh, a school got uh, mass shooting, and then you say America, like, oh, you would think, if you are very have a narrow-minded people that just know a little bit about US and Hollywood, you would say like, oh, but a lot of uh, movie, good movie from there. Oh, but why the kids are... Uh, having uh, you know school being attacked like this, mm-hmm. I, you would find the hardest way to connect these two events. But if you see it in bigger picture with all this history and whatnot, the Hollywood with its own history, you would see a connection, and that's the beauty of it. When you make sense of things around you, you feel like you have six sense of things that yes, okay, that's and you it would I think would calm you down as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so that's why I think uh, you, you should pay attention to what's happening around the world. Adi, do you think that the world, or maybe let's not go around the world, do you think that sometimes Malaysians get too reactive with things that are happening overseas and, you know, they might not know much about the context because they don't know, like, the history, uh, say, for instance, Russia, you know, people are oh, Russia attacking, da-da-da-da-da, but they don't know the context. Do you think that we are too reactive and maybe this level of reaction could be reduced if we know something about history, if we know something about what's going on in other countries definitely if you have some kind of middling interest in something you will be prepared for what happens then you can kind of make a prediction on what trajectory that issue is going to go so that's way if we're not preparing ourselves we're always going to be forever surprised at what's going on mm-hmm. and it doesn't help that the whole media machine tends to pound these kinds of stories 24 7 like almost every day you hear something about uh, this certain issue for let's say i don't know two three weeks then will move on to another story. Yeah. And it's going to be the whole media cycle all over again because that is how they get your attention. They want you to react. If you see headlines, it's always designed in a way that you're going to have to make some kind of opinion. It doesn't matter if you're informed about it, you're going to be forced to make some kind of opinion about it. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think for Malaysia, due in part, we are quite insulated as well. And I have quite a huge opinion about this. I would say it's due to how we're brought up. It's due to how we're educated. We're not really you know, expected to really think critically or on our feet. 
if you go to school, like you're the, the only thing you do is just memorize, regurgitate. Mm. I mean, I was very lucky. My my dad was a very a huge influence on me. He was like, oh, you want to learn something? You read about it, yes. then come, then we'll discuss about it. So we have discussions about this. But of course, not everyone has that privilege or mm. not everyone has the opportunity. And it's just that kind of conflict that we're not really investing in our own uh, students or in our own people that we, you know, we can think more than this. We don't have to memorize everything. We're this, we have to give a bit more credit to where credit's due and that we have more inside us that we can think about. But no, I think as of now, the system is sort of designed in a way that's supposed to keep you reactive. Mm -hmm. And I think that also makes it very difficult when it comes to exposing yourself to uh, situations beyond your control or situations beyond your comprehension. But, you know, everyone will want to have an opinion on something. Everyone forms their own judgments, their own biases and their own narratives. It's just that preparing yourself for it is something that we find very, very difficult. Mm, I agree. Well, we uh, only have a few minutes left here. Hafiz, we spoke, we talked about many things today. Um, any final thoughts for today's episode? One of, inshallah, many more to come right here at KK12. Oh, final thoughts. I, get, I guess that just, uh, just going to continue from what Adi said. Just, I mean, we live in 21st century. If you want to know about anything, it's just a click away. So it's just about how you decide to spend your time with. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to look on TikToks, like, okay, this is also another thing about social media. Like people would brand certain uh, social media as like bad or good. Like, hey, there's a lot of information in, on TikTok as well. Mm -hmm. Like you can see a lot of doctors doing informational videos. So if you spend decided and follow people who actually beneficial in such a way that you like, then be merry. And uh, if you decided to just uh, waste your time on whatever thing, and that be on you as well. So yeah, I mean, we all uh, responsible for our own action. So yeah, like from what I did said, this, how are you going to decide to use your own time? Any final thoughts? I think I just want to say thank you for having us here. I think <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> thank you for spending time. Yeah, when Hafiz told me like uh, Kopinian Council invited, I was like, oh wow. Yeah, because wow, we are not never... used to thanking someone. Yeah, <laughs> usually, usually <laughs> we just like talk, it's just us. And we thank the crowd definitely, yeah, but yeah, you know we, we do the editing ourselves. It's <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah, so this is a very different experience and uh, one that we're very honored and very pleased to have. And I hope that the listeners here can you know have something to take away. And you know, I think in a way hopefully can generate more discussion and more uh, lively debate Definitely. about it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I feel about uh, a Kopitian Council. It, it's a very special podcast because not many Sabahans, not many Malaysians would dare sit down and discuss about international issues because they feel like international issues are just beneath them. We want to talk about Malaysia, 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 but I hope that one day we could we could find ourselves in a respectable position in our world. You know, I get agitated when we have discussions about, oh, mari kita gunakan bahasa Malaysia sahaja di, di you know, di acara-acara antarabangsa. Next episode, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this in our next episode. Even more reason for us to bring Adi back and also Hafiz. Can, can we make a packed right now that we'll bring you guys back after your wedding, Hafiz. <laughs> right. Will that be okay? Let's talk about these yes. things. So, so yeah, again, to what I, I was saying, I find it refreshing to have two awesome youths like yourself who are contributing in our society in various industries here. And uh, let's talk about international things. And I always believe that knowing about international affairs would, as you mentioned, Hafiz, putting 
us in the bigger picture. And I think we need to generate this, you know. If we keep ourselves in a cocoon, we'll just stay in that cocoon, you know. And, and I think a, a lot of our frustrations will be gone if we know where we are in this world. Look and looking at the bigger picture, and uh, I think a lot of decisions can be made based on that. So yeah, thank you both for creating Kopitiam Council, which I would in like to invite our listeners to tune in as well. Find them on Spotify, find them on all the podcast uh, uh, platforms that are out there. Maybe more new episodes in the future? Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a shot in the arm for us to yeah. do more. But for now, we'll have an episode in, uh, in August right here already. I'll, I'll set a time for, uh, for the both of you. Okay. So anyways, Adi, Hafiz, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I look forward to welcoming you back again in August. Yeah, Thank you so much. All thank right. you for having us. Well, that's all the time that we have left here in our show. I truly hope you enjoyed that very first episode of Kick It Off FM X Kopitiam Council with Mohamed Hafizul and also Arif Adi. Wonderful gentlemen, which uh, I always had the pleasure of listening to their podcast and I'm so happy that they're here. Anyways, uh, till the next one, I, I have this question for you. What can you do for Sabah? What can you do for the world? Bye-bye now. Take care.